Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, Mackie and Judd from the Minnesota State Fair. Two more hours to go. Phil was on for the first two hours. Now joined by Matthew Collar, who is fresh from uh, a breakfast full of, well, I would hope it was footballs. Uh, and barbecue. Oh, barbecue as well? I mean, is it wrong to eat barbecue before 11 o'clock in the morning nope. if you're doing it at the fair? Nope. It's not I, wrong to drink beer, and it's not wrong to eat anything that you want at the fair. I don't care what the time of day yeah, is. Yeah, I think if you're at the fair, all of society's rules pretty much go out stops. the window. Absolutely Just stops. like when it rained the other day, and normally people would try to find some sort of shelter, but here it was like, no, nah, it's fair. Game on. I did not realize until Friday that there is no real system to evacuate, though. No. Like, no. I, I told Phil the story, though. My favorite thing on Friday was pouring rain, thunder and lightning, the couple that decided that she had to smoke a cigarette, so they used the tree as the shield. Yeah. Because, I mean, what can go wrong with a lightning and a tree and a cigarette? <laughs> Let's see. You might, you might get cancer eventually, but you also <laughs> might light yourself up immediately with a tree. No. So you don't have to worry about cancer because what, the tree, the tree gets is going to light on fire. No, I'm saying the tree gets hit by lightning oh, and then you light up and oh, then you okay, light up yes. because of the tree. That was my that was the most that was the thing on on Friday. I said, I really think this is a bad idea. See, now I thought when it was pouring, it was funny that there was a guy who was operating some sort of motorized thing that carries stuff. Like, a, like it had pallets on it yeah. and stuff like that. Yep. And it was pouring and lightning, and we were scared for our lives here. And he just kept trucking. He was just going oh, right he, across no the worries. street. Yeah, he didn't care at all. He was completely soaked. There were no worries. There totally were no fine. concerns. All right, so uh, so you, you actually posted a piece this morning, 1500ESPN.com, on your favorite subject, which, of course, is football and involves the Vikings. Uh, take us inside the mind of Mike Zimmer when it comes to deciding the roster spots of which we are trying to project right now but don't really know. So I, I've long had this theory about Mike Zimmer that he values smart players over everything else. That if you're coming down to two players, one is more athletically gifted, he's going to take the smart player every single time. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of times out there at the TCO Performance Center of Performance, it's about kind of the daily sort of thing. Like, oh, this guy's injured, and what do you think of that? And how are you going to adjust to this or that? Or, and throughout the season, it's, well, how are you preparing for the next team? But I just saw yesterday as kind of an opportunity to go a little bit off the grid because there's nothing really going on for the fourth preseason game. I mean, we're going to watch Mike Boone, but, I mean, how many Mike Boone questions can you possibly have? Sure. So I decided to kind of run my theory by him a little bit about where he values smart players, and he said 
at the very top. That it, in, when he's doing his evaluation, intelligence is his favorite thing about a player. And then I asked him to kind of define that. And this just sort of takes you beyond the game and how good Mike Zimmer is at not only evaluating players' skills, but also their mental capacity to handle things. And, and I think this is one of the reasons that he's been so successful is he talked about how you have to be able to take what you learn on a daily basis and then apply it, but then also be able to know how to adjust it. So if you go out on the field, you have to know not only what your blocking scheme is, but if something changes, you have to know how to adapt to that. And that's how he sees in like football intelligence. Yep. And then we talked a lot about, Absolutely. too, like whether players love football. So you know this from covering Spielman at the draft. It's this guy loves football. Yep. This guy loves football. Every guy, he all loves football. football. They love football. They are so football. But then, as much as you are, almost. You've seen this a million times. You get into a preseason, you get into training camp, you get into the regular mm-hmm. season, and you see some of the guys don't love football as much as they told you at the draft. And what's really cool about Mike Zimmer, I think, is that he knows what he doesn't know that he understands that it's very difficult to tell whether someone actually loves football until you have them in the building and until day after day after day they're grinding away. And and he kind of acknowledged that, that by the end of training camp, you have a much better feeling on those players. But when you're at the draft and you're saying, oh, this guy, he's just made of football. And they'll like, tell you they are. They, right. They all, like they like all at the know, combine, yeah. I sit down and say, I love football. When really what I'm saying is, I love how much I'm going to get paid. And they all know, too, how to answer the questions inside the room. Yeah, they've been coached. Right. They've been coached by their agents or whoever else how to answer the questions right. Joe Thomas on his podcast talked about if a general manager asks you if you like dogs or cats, you should always say dogs. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, Joe Thomas is one of the smartest players in the league. And he's can you imagine him in this room saying, uh, dogs? Yep. <laughs> like, I mean, how ridiculous is some of this stuff? But Zimmer talked about how even with the testing, that they have all these tests about whether a player is smart and this and that. It doesn't really apply until you actually see them on the field. And he talked about some of the challenges there. And I think that his general mentality of I don't know everything all the time is one of the reasons that he's one of the top coaches in the NFL. Because yep. so often it's just hubris. It's I know everything. Yep. My system is the system that works. All I mean, Chip Kelly. That's why Chip Kelly's career went down. He's a brilliant, genius football guy, but he didn't adjust his system in Philadelphia after everybody figured it out. Mm-hmm. I think that's Mike Zimmer's biggest strength, and it was really interesting to hear him talk about it yesterday. So give me, give me the top five Vikings uh, who, are, who, who com- combine the love of football with smarts. Oh, Har- I mean, Harrison, there's a lot. Yeah. Harrison Smith has is, is got to be up there near yeah. the top. But who else is up there near the top? Well, I mean, on this, Diggs and Thielen? Yeah, I mean, ranking of, on the top five. And this just shows you, they were 32nd in the NFL on defense when he got here. So this is, this is his paw prints all over everything, the players to keep, the players to bring in. Uh, Terrence Newman is number one on yeah, the list. Yeah, I, I don't, and with him. Yeah, he's 40, he's 40 he, and still doing this. He's 40 and still doing that, and that's because of his intelligence. He's a coach on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would also say Eric Hendricks is one of the smartest players that's out there. Interesting. Harrison Smith is the premier safety in the NFL, and a major part of that is that he combines everything. I mean, when you get a superstar, it's the physical gifts, the drive, 
the obsession with success and then also how quickly you process the game and things like that. But, you know, Kendricks is also one of the ones who has to make calls out there and things like that and, and quickly process the game. It's very, it's very obvious what kind of personality type they want. And here's another thing that really caught my ear. As far as creating a culture, we've talked about that quite a bit. Well, Zimmer mentioned that how much players can impact each other. Mm-hmm. So his thing is, if you get a player that maybe you're a little concerned about, that you can put them into a locker room with so many great personalities that have drive and success and intelligence, and that will rub off on the younger players because they're going to follow along. Dalvin Cook. So, so exactly. So if you have the wrong players as your veterans, then that's going to kind of poison the room, and I think you've probably seen that in your career quite a few times. Twins Clubhouse 2018. Well, that's for sure, yeah. No, I mean, there, there is no... We can we can have all the analytics possible and all the scouting that you want, but personalities are still important. Mm-hmm. And you can afford you can afford to put a loose cannon or two into a stable locker room with clear definition of who's in charge. Yep. What you can't do is you can't draft guys based on talent and then throw them in there. I mean, yep. Listen, as great a player as as Moss had been, and by the time he came back here in 2010, he was not. In a lot of ways, Randy Moss was the death knell for Percy Harvin here mm-hmm. because because in what had become a very unstable environment, Percy, who was on the borderline there, on, on the uh, tightrope, looked at Randy and said, I love Randy Moss. And that was the right. worst thing because Moss said, your head coach is an idiot. So, <laughs> right. no, but it's, right. it's, it's, the one, it's the one thing that I think sometimes the people who examine uh, – statistics too much don't think about yep. which is you this is not fantasy football or baseball you can't you can't just say i'm going to get a collection of the best players and it's going to work because if those personalities don't work for the team all hell breaks loose. Yeah, and we were talking about this in baseball with catchers and how even though Mitch Garver, I think, has gotten better from the beginning of the season, that they don't have a leader there as a catcher who sets the tone. And with football, you need a lot of those types of guys mm-hmm. because every player impacts on every other player. So the defensive line impacts the linebackers, and the linebackers impact the secondary, and everybody has to be on the exact same page all the time or you don't win. So you have to have everybody working in conjunction. And the other thing is, they teach each other all the time. Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs teach each other. They learn from each other. They get better at route running because they push each other. And and that's something that Zimmer has created here that I don't think you see in all situations across the NFL. That is really impressive. And you know, at our site, if if you want to go check it out, it it was really cool to hear him go in depth on that because it's clear that it's calculated. And he even said, if guys aren't going to be like that, if they're not going to teach other players, if they're going to be kind of selfish guys like that, they're just not going to be around. And I think we saw that with Cordero Patterson. And and the reason that even though he was a skilled playmaker, they didn't want to bring him back was because he didn't really fit that high intelligence, high, high drive. I mean, he was physically gifted, but he didn't really kind of match up with those other guys. I think what Mike probably does not like any, he's right is he doesn't like guys who play the game because they love the lifestyle Cordero seemed to love the lifestyle yeah, like you know yeah. I'm, I'm highly paid I'm successful freak of a player yeah I mean there were times where he made plays and you're like what did he just do but I think coaches like Zimmer are smart enough to realize that if you're a lifestyle guy that doesn't mean you like the sport that means you like the paycheck yeah. and the fame and, 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 and once again, if you have the right environment, those guys can be a guy or two like that can be absorbed. 
but they can't define your team. The the where I think for this camp, you could go to school on what Mike did, and it's so interesting and so effective, and yet so smart. Is is sending uh, Diggs and Rhodes home for a day, right? Yeah. Because those are ordinarily, you would say these are two high impact, great players, and they're going tooth and nail, and that's great, and I do believe that. But the message that he sent is nobody's above my rules. Yep. And that takes guts, and that is something that is something that if you instill that, players are going to be like, oh wow, okay. But you can't just do it. You can't take a cornerback who's a third-string guy against a second-team receiver and do, do that because guys are like, that means nothing. Right. So to do it to two high-profile guys in training camp is the perfect time to send a message that you will only tolerate so much stuff. I also see a high level of buy-in from this team to Mike Zimmer when it comes to the players with their contract situations that – Anthony Barr could be holding out right now. He could have held out all through camp and waited for a new contract, but he didn't. He could have, uh, Stephon Diggs could have done that. Xavier Rhodes could have done that last year. Thielen could do it right Thielen now. Thielen could do it right now. He could right. walk out of camp right. today, but he, he won't. Could, he could sit out and he could look for a new contract, and instead they kept showing up to practice every day because I, I think that they have created a good enough team here where everyone believes you have to show up and do everything you can to try to get farther than you did last year, mm-hmm. that the Super Bowl expectations are there for a reason, and they all have them inside the locker room, but that's in part because of what Zimmer has created, too. That he's also, the, the people that he's kept, and the people that he's made sure get paid, him and the front office, obviously, are the guys that have that type of drive, that aren't selfish players, that aren't only concerned about their own contracts. And that's really unique in the NFL. I mean, that's really unique in pro sports. And no matter what this team does this year, because there are reasons to think maybe they won't be as good as last year, the schedule, the offensive line, things like that, uh, it it is to be appreciated, I think, what he's been able to create. Take a break. A comeback after this. Mackie and Judd right now. Zolgan and Collar from the Minnesota State Fair. Want exclusive access to U.S. Bank Stadium? Then purchase your tickets to, for CCF. CCFA's Touch a Flag Football Tournament on September 8th. Flag Football will take over the field in a six-on-six t- six tournament to raise money for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. The day also includes exclusive stadium tours, memorabilia auction, 1500 ESPN Fan Zone, and more. More details are at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword, events. At all flying to practice this week? Um, no. Practice this week to not to avoid going on pub for the regular season, or how does that work? Well, he's going to practice when he's ready to go. So I don't know when that's going to be. Do you think it's likely he'll start the season on the pub list? Uh, no, I don't think so. And so, uh, Matthew Collar, that was Mike Zimmer on Sunday morning. Hours after that, we found out that the Vikings did the logical thing which was make a trade for a center slash guard uh this was something at this point now you've got no choice because let's make one thing very clear pat elfline's on the physically unable to perform list right now and he can be taken off that list in training camp at any point yeah but if you're put on that list to open the season you're out for six weeks correct and so so pat elfline zimmer saying that he won't start on the pup means nothing it just means that they don't plan for him to miss six weeks right i think at this point in time there's a very good chance that he's not set for week one or two well i think week one at this point is out of the conversation 
I just don't know how he could get back and ready and at a point where he and Kirk Cousins felt comfortable with each other after going through what he's gone through in the offseason with multiple surgeries to step in and play starting center against DeForest Buckner of the San Francisco 49ers, who's one of the best players at his position in the NFL. I think that's just too much to ask if he's not going to practice this week. Yep. I thought that this week was probably the very last opportunity they had that he could have practiced this week, got into the game uh, on Friday, and then you're, okay, maybe you're good to go. You could get back in, and even if there's some rocky times, you're still back as the starter. But I think at this point, Pat Elfline is not going to be there for week one, so it made a lot of sense to go get Brett Jones. Now, so with Jones, my guess is that he's going to step in and immediately take reps with the one. Do you see this as being a long-term play when Elfline does come back? For Jones to slide to left guard then? Yeah, yeah, I do. Is that the logical play here? I think that that's exactly what will happen. I I think that they just acquired their starting left guard. Okay. Because Tom Compton was brought in as a guy who you could play at either guard position and in a real pinch you could throw over a tackle, but you don't really want to do that. He's a veteran. He started a handful of games throughout his career, but the most that he's ever started is nine games in a season, and he started five last year, basically an emergency. He's an NFL player, but he's not an NFL starter. He's, oh no, we lost our guard. Can someone play there? Okay, he can, and we won't get everything blown up, but on a week-to-week-to-week basis, especially when by week four you've got Indomitian Sue and Aaron Donald that you're going to be playing, and then week five... If Donald's back... He's going to come back. Yeah, he will. He's going to get the contract signed. I, I mean, that's all the buzz right now. He'll get the contract signed. All right. But then in week five, you've got to play the Eagles, and you're going to have Tom Compton in there? I don't think so. Brett Jones, at very least, is a starting NFL offensive lineman, Yep. and he has started games at left guard before, so I think that he'll be able to come in and make that transition. You don't feel like you have an above-average player there, but maybe much closer to average now, and if Elfline comes back, Remmers at guard, Hill at tackle. You're still not feeling like this is going to be one of the better lines in the league, but maybe a little more on solid ground that you have Jones instead of Compton at left guard. So where does the Jones trade take you off from our discussions on Friday night without him? And I'm sorry, but the kid who played center on Friday is not no. set to start. I got no. tweets saying he's looking really good. No, folks, oh. he was the third center. If you start him, you could get Kirk Cousins killed. So... Where does your confidence go from when we walked out of U.S. Bank Stadium on Friday to now the trade for uh, Jones on Sunday? Well, I mean, it's a little bit better because I I do think it's better to have someone with starting experience at center than Cornelius Edison. Uh, And as as much as people seem to have liked what he's done in in a couple preseason games, I don't think he's been very good in those games. It's so much to ask. He was the third-string center. When you are playing center, one of your biggest things that you have to do in this offense is get on the move and get out and hit linebackers, and he just can't do that. He basically can be in the way where the defensive tackle can run into him, but aside from that, that's about it. And Not that, a ringing endorsement, man. I mean, he's a fringe NFL player. Yeah. He was on a practice squad before. He's yeah. never started a game in the NFL. This is not like some prospect they have that, oh, look how good we got this guy. This is like a guy whose career was hanging by a thread until other people got hurt, who I'm not sure would have even made the roster if Pat Elfline is healthy. Oh, I don't think he does. I don't think he does, and it's possible still that he could get cut even if Red Jones steps in and is okay. So I, 
I don't think that that is even part of the conversation. Where it's going to be really important, as far as my confidence level, will really rest on Riley Reef Because the other night, I went back and watched, he was good. He was very, very good against Seattle. And he struggled against Jacksonville, which is natural because they have great players. But he was much, much better against the Seahawks. And if he is where he was for most of his career, which is an above-average player, I think this line could survive. That left tackle position is by far the most important. They could survive if he plays well. If he struggles, if he gets hurt, then you're going to be in a lot of trouble, especially since he's playing next to a new left guard. That means it's even more responsibility on him. And the decline in Reef's play in 2017 was brought on by injury, correct? Yes, yes. So we, we've talked about that, but just to be clear, he got off to a good start, and he didn't, uh, he didn't regress because of something he did wrong. He right. got hurt, continued to play, probably should have, in an ideal world, sat out a couple of games. Yep. But that regression was caused by being hurt, not by something he did necessarily wrong. Yeah, and when we go back to look at last year and what they did in free agency in the offseason, where they signed Riley Reef and they signed Mike Remmers, I thought both of those guys played really well overall. And when Reef was at his best, I thought he was an above-average player. And through the first, I think it was probably seven or eight weeks, he was very good, but then he got hurt and tried to play through it, and he struggled a bit. I don't think Case Keenum did all the favors in the world by running around like that, and it, those that kind of boost up how often the pressure numbers and makes your offensive line looks worse and the grades that pro football focus gives out. When you have a running quarterback or somebody who moves around a lot, they're going to give out more pressures. But um, with, with Reef, if he's 100% healthy, I think especially in the run game, he's really good. He, you, he can get out there on screen passes, which not every left tackle can do, and he's pretty solid, and he'll battle all day long against some of the best edge rushers. You just need him to be great. Yeah, I, I don't think you could just have him be okay or have him get digged up. Could he be great, though, you, consistently? No, yeah, I think he could be above average. Okay, yeah, you, but that's not great. Well, no, no, he's not going to be Orlando he needs Pace. To be, he needs to be... He needs to be very solid for an entire yes. season. Yes. Is and that I, fair? And I think, unfortunately, because Kirk Cousins is not a guy that gets on the move a whole lot and escapes the pocket. Right. Because he's not that type of quarterback, Reef has to be about as good as he's ever been. Okay. And it's a big ask for a guy that has had some injuries, but that's just what I think is going to be required for this offense to reach its ceiling is to have their left tackle playing at his best. I'm with you on, on the Compton thing. I do not like taking, because I've seen it before, I do not like taking really solid depth guys and yep. saying, you're a starter now. Right. I'm with yep. you on that completely. Because yep. how often, especially with a guy in Compton's shoes who's his age, like you can maybe have a young depth guy who you're developing and he makes enormous strides quickly. With veteran guys, though, they usually, by this point, are who, who they are. Right. But the Joe Bergers of the world are incredibly hard to find. I mean, that yeah, was a great pickup, but yeah. that's not the norm. So I think right now, your, your original question to me that I sort of went around was, yeah, do, where's I, your confidence? do I feel more confident in the Vikings offensive line because they went out and traded for Brett Jones? I think the answer is definitely yes, by far from having Compton be the starter there. Mm-hmm. At right tackle, though, I'm still concerned about where Rashad Hill is going to be and if he's going to be able to stand up I am definitely still concerned about how the pressure that this offensive line allows is going to affect Kirk Cousins I think we've seen it even in these preseason games I don't think right tackle is done yet necessarily like like it will be week one yeah he's gonna start week one I'm not I'm not convinced that that they don't kick 
Remmers back from right guard to right tackle yeah. at some point because he can do it seamlessly. Yeah, and he's not and he's not bad there. And, and that's nice right. He did a good job, I think, overall last year, and and that might ultimately be what they do. But at the guard position, I think we saw the other night when Tom Johnson abused Danny Isadora that he's not really ready to be that. St- he's not my guy. You love Tom Johnson. Oh, I love Tom not Johnson. Isadora. I thought you no, meant Isadora. No, no, you no, were I thrilled by Tom yes. Johnson's success because yes. he, was, he was one of your go-to football guys. Yes, I thought he was the most not un- Isadora, underrated no. player on the defense over the last couple years but not Isadora Uh, and so when he got shoved back like that by a power move from Tom Johnson everybody's going to see that that's exactly how they're going to attack him so it's a little bit of moving parts still and what we see for an offensive line in week four will probably be all backups so we won't really know how they're going to go into week one, which is funny because it'll be two years in a row that the offensive line starting combination for week one has not played together going into it. Now, last year that worked out okay, but this year I don't know if we should be quite as confident in that. Take a break, come back, uh, talk baseball. Derek Wetmore joins next. It's uh, Mackie and Judd, Matthew Collar, and for Phil for the remainder of the show. We are at the Minnesota State Fair. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Talking twins. Now, with 1500ESPN.com senior web editor and resident seam head Derek Wetmore, presented by the Canopy Group for the best insurance coverage at the absolute best price. 2 0 to Austin. A blast to center field. <laughs> you know? My goodness. <laughs> That's into the catch area and back out. <laughs> There's not a ballpark in the world that can hold him. No. Mackie and Judd from the uh, State Fair right now. Zolgad and Collard. Uh, Derek Wetmore, as you just heard, 1500ESPN.com, covers the Twins for us, uh, joins the conversation. All right, let's start with the guy that we, we just heard one of his two home runs in the loss to the Swinging A's yesterday. Uh, Tyler Austin, are you, are you buying what you're seeing here, Derek, from him? Because if this guy can come in and provide some pop in 2019, this could be a complete steal when you consider Lance Lynn was the guy that That's went right. to the Yankees for him. So my reaction to his home run was the exact same as Roy Smalley's there. You heard on the clip. He smokes it out to center field and hits second deck up there, which basically nobody gets out up there. Mm-hmm. And Roy Smalley just laughed. I mean, that was the color commentary. He's chuckling at, at the ridiculous power that this guy has. What I'm curious to see, Judd, is he going to be able to combine that with a hit tool? Because we've seen guys with crazy stupid pop the last couple of years not not work out kenny's vargas young ho park come to mind now i'm not comparing them as chris players. carter still a rochester red wing i uh, know i think he was released but mm, they, they have that him. same yeah. kind of hey you can hit the ball 550 feet and that's great but if you can only hit it one out of ten times i don't care so much that's what I'm curious to see. Is he going to be able to combine the hit tool with? The early signs are promising, but I'm not ready to say just because this guy hits moonshots that he's on the team next year. So I, I was at the game yesterday, and I was angry after that home run yeah. because the center fielder chased it. <laughs> Come on, like, man. No, it's one of the coolest things when you mash a home run so yes. much, the center fielder just watches it yep. go over like that. That guy went back to the wall like, I'll get this one, yes, guys. Yes. Like, no, no, you won't. You know that why that's 50 feet over your head. Do you why know didn't why? you just stand there? I'll tell you why. That's important for one thing and one thing only. 
clubhouse dynamics. If you're on a losing team <laughs> in August or September and some guy hits it 490 feet and the center fielder just stands there chewing bubble gum and spitting seeds, the pitcher's like, yeah, okay, all right. But if you're on a postseason team and your center fielder doesn't even like pretend to give it an effort, I think the starting pitcher gets a little offended so by that. Here's my question. If it's, so it's Tyler Austin who hits the bomb yeah. and the center fielder goes back for it. Let's say it's Sano, or let's just say it's somebody like Ken Griffey Jr. Then you just give him his due, and then you just watch it, because you know it's going to make the highlight reel, but you're like, yeah, That's I'll right. be in that. That's and then a you'll good be point. like, see what I did? Yeah. Hey, great. I'm on SportsCenter. Right. M- Mark McGuire hit it 750 feet, uh. and I just watched it. I, I thought that yesterday, it, it, as soon as that one was hit, every person in the stadium was like, oh, that is no, way, yeah. way gone. And then, he, and then he hits another one. It's crazy that there are five people in the history of Target Field, which I know it's not a 50-year history, but since Target Field opened, five people have hit it out there. Jim Tomey was the first, but it wasn't the branded bar when it was out there. It, it was just, catch you know, yeah. maybe he hit it I over the evergreens one. in center field back when they still I think, existed. I think it went through the partition there above the trees and below where catch is now. There's like an open area. I think it went through there. I think that it landed in Roseville, actually, oh, that Jim Tomey home It was run. a shot. After that, it was Byung-Ho Park got out there, Miguel Sano. <laughs> and then last week, <laughs> I know you're, you're laughing, this but Byung-Ho Park had crazy center field power. Yeah. Last week, Jake Cave got out there, and now Tyler Austin, both guys who were sort of cast off the Yankees' 40-man roster. Jake Cave, though, it's become the norm. I'm bored with it. You know what's really sort of gone away is the conversation in baseball about all the home runs. Like, where did it go? People are still mashing dingers at the same ridiculous rate, but it seems like in the beginning of the season, we were all like, what's up with all these home runs? And now we just decided, okay, dingers. Yep, I'm down with it. Well, there's two evolutions that are happening kind of parallel in baseball right now. Everyone throws 97 with sync or some kind of crazy life yeah. or a huge disparity between their fastball and changeup. Like that's, there are just so many good pitchers, and the Oakland A's bullpen is a perfect example. Fernando Rodney's like their fifth best reliever. They've traded for a great bullpen now. That's, that's such a good bullpen. They've assembled it on the fly and are just like, okay, yep. you've got no shot. And Mets closer, Nationals guy who melted down. Yeah, it's a great bullpen. And training's totally underrated. I yep. mean, they've got a – they've got – the recipe to upset better teams in October. There are going to be better teams that they go up against, uh, provided they get there. Once they do, that bullpen is going to scare some people. But there are two things that are happening, Matthew, and I think it's why you don't hear so much about the taters anymore. It's because every pitcher is crazy good now, Mm -hmm. and how could you ever hit this? And then there's the hitter who's like, well, I'm I'm good with 35% strikeouts. I'm going to get mine. I think people are just sort of... They've come to grips with the fact it's, that this is the game right it, now. It's predictable now. We're looking for what's the next Yeah, I step. think once things become predictable, we tune out like it bores us. Sure. So now, now strikeouts are absolutely predictable. Pitchers throwing 98, predictable. Home runs, predictable. So in April, I think we were like, look at all these home runs. But that began year two of this. Now it's just the trend. Like, you look at the box scores, and you see a ton of strikeouts, a ton of home runs, and if you see pitch charts, you see guys throwing 97. So my parents went to the game with me yesterday, and at one point, now they, they don't go to a lot of big league games because where they come from, there's not a big league team. Mm-hmm. But they look up at one point, and they're like, wait, there's four outfielders. Yes. Why is there four yes. outfielders? Um, how often are the Twins doing that? Do you feel like this is a thing that Molitor is fully bought into or is begrudgingly doing it? Or are they going to stick with it? Is this sort of like experimentation time of like, let's see how four outfielders works for a while? Yeah, I don't think that the Twins are one of the most aggressive shifting teams, but they've certainly 
employed the math, if you want to call it that. They say, hey, look, for this specific hitter, I think it was Olsen for the A's, if, you're, if you are a guy whose tendencies are just obvious that they're so transparent, Logan Morrison comes to mind. Hey, he's going to try to pull the ball in the air, so it's going to go to right field. And when he doesn't pull the ball, it's a ground ball on the right side of the infield. So um, when he doesn't pull the ball in the air, I should say. When a hitter's that predictable, you're wasting a shortstop if he's standing over in the shortstop hole. You're, yeah. you're kind of wasting your third baseman, so why not try to cheat a little bit? Um, you know, it's the, the same thing is happening in the NBA, but we don't think it's weird when teams shoot 53s. We're like, yeah, the math works. Right, we when just the can't math decide works, if we like this When the math not. works in baseball, we're yeah. like, oh, I don't know. And right. there are some very vocal critics of the shift that – it's maybe it's not helping as much as it is. To answer your question on Molitor, I think he's in with it. I think mm-hmm. uh, he and the coaching staff are a part of the analytics wave. And in a season like this, you might as well figure out if it's going to work for you. And guys. he has to be because if he's not, he's gone. That's right. Like if you told Falvey, "Get out of my office. We're not doing this," they'd be like, "You're fired." All right. Here's my biggest complaint from the past three days of baseball. They have players weekend, right? They come up with these jerseys. And I, I know the old-timer baseball fans don't like them. But you know what? It's a, it's a cool idea. Yeah. Young, weekend young a year. people, Young people embracing baseball, they need that. Like, you can't sit here and complain about 22-year-olds not caring about baseball and then be like, but you shouldn't put your nickname on the back That's of your right. jersey. So here's my complaint, though. And, I mean, it, it clearly starts with Joel. But you get guys like Maurer and Grossman. Players weekend, right? You're supposed to come up, come yeah. up with something for them. You know, Joe Maurer. Cigar Joe from the Cuba tri- or from from the trip right to play Cleveland, and you still go with Maurer or Grossman? Yeah. C- come on, guys! I mean, if we're gonna do this, let's come up. Let's at least have somebody is, say you're not using Maurer. Is is Joe ever gonna let anybody in? I mean, ever? No. Is he is he just is he ever gonna let the public see? Let me at ask you this, guys. His is. own family barely knows him. I think. Let me ask you this because not surprised that. I come to the State Fair to talk about the Twins, and Judd is mad about something I'm involving not mad. Players Weekend. I'm not mad. It's you sound just, pretty worked up. Well, it's just that I understand why they do it, yes. and for a guy to be like, well, I just want Zolgad on the back of my <laughs> It's like, give me your bore ass. Let's get someone in here with a <laughs> yeah. Actually, if someone had gone with Zolgad, it would have been <laughs> tremendous. Just trolling. Yeah. Call him Zolgad. Right, yeah. right. It would have been whoever he's ripped the most over the years. Like, I hear you, buddy. I think that, look, I don't care players' nicknames, it doesn't do that much for me, but no. if it does it for somebody else, you should do it. That's great. The alternate jerseys, kind of cool. I figured you might like the baby blues. I a little like bit them. of a throwback. Yeah, it's good. Oh, and no complaints. So, uh, to me, it it just it doesn't bother me at all. I'm I'm not worked up over anything involving Players Weekend, and you can't convince me. Yeah, I think that the whole Players Weekend rings hollow because of how baseball acts for all the other weekends. Yeah, that's right. It's not Players Weekend. It's corporate. Right. You know, it, well, it's it's unwritten rules weekend. Yes, it's, that's right. It's let's be <laughs> which mad is at every other weekend least, of the let's year. Let's be mad at someone's shoes but or how they celebrate a home run. It could be a step in the right direction, though, because yeah. you're right right now. But I but it just it presents an opportunity for personalities to come through, and let's yeah. do let's do that. They're celebrating some. Of their young stars, and I think that's the way you do it. You, you asked about Mahler, uh I'm sorry, you asked about Maurer, caller a second ago. Uh, do you think anyone's going to let him in? What do you think? What if you if you had to put odds on this percentage chance that 20 years from now there is a Joe Maurer retrospective book? There's a there's a biography written, or he co-writes something. My know. career in my words. Do you think that's even no. a remote possibility? You, you, know, you know what? No. 
Here, here's the thing about Maurer, too. He might just be this boring, yes. just in general, because I read Paul O'Neill's book. Someone got me Paul O'Neill's book, and I read it. And I finished the whole thing and was angry. I was like, nothing ever happened to this guy. Yeah. This guy gets like, mad more than I do. There, there yeah. is, there's, like, no depth to this guy. Yeah. Like, he married uh, his, like, high school sweetheart cheerleader. He won four World Series, and he just... He kicked that ball into the infield one time right, and got he, out. And he should have written the whole book on that because yeah. it was the only interesting <laughs> thing that ever happened. There was some controversy. To, to, except for when he beat up a water cooler. But that might just be Joe. He might just be this kind of guy. And I think it's allowed people to take a lot of shots at him because he doesn't respond. He doesn't tweet back. He's not going to well, say anything about it. But maybe that's just him. Flip the question around, Derek. Do you believe, uh, as a guy that you have now covered for quite a few years, do, mm. you, do you believe there's more there? Like, there's definitely some people we cover, and we're like, there's more there. Harrison Smith, Harrison, I think, there's, yeah. there's more quiet, there. And whatever. you and you just And you don't want me to know it, and that's your right. But do you ever look at Joe and say, yeah, there's a lot here. My educated guess from talking to him over a number of years, and let's be honest, following his career before I covered sports professionally, I don't think that this is a, a ruse. I, I don't think that he's putting us on. I don't think it's... Well, I got to play the boring act. There is a little bit of that. I covered the Orioles for a summer in Baltimore five, six years ago, and there's a little bit of that. This guy is this guy in the clubhouse, and then he's got his own personal life. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of some examples like Matt Weeders, a Jim Johnson, um, even Chris Davis. It's like these these quotes are who he is in baseball, and then if you're just chit chatting with him, that's a different story. JJ Hardy comes to mind too. Joe Maurer. When you're interviewing him about passing Rod Carew on the Twins all-time hit list for second in Twins history, and he says, oh, gee, this is neat. It's pretty special to be mentioned in that kind of company. Anytime you could be mentioned with a guy like Kirby Puckett or Rod Carew, you're doing something right. And we're all thinking, oh, come on. Come on. Live a little. Celebrate. But when you're just, like, chit-chatting with him, it's not an interview, and you're just talking. Same guy. Yep. Yeah, it's Pretty cool. Oh, yeah, Players Weekend. Yeah. Oh, I'm just going to do Maurer. I didn't really, nobody had any nicknames for me growing up. It's just, that's who he is. It's, I don't think that this is a front. I don't think he's putting us on. My, and this is just speculation because it's not like no, I, I hang think, out with him seven days think, a week. No, I think you're right. My speculation is everything you've seen from Joe Maurer in his career yep. is exactly who Joe Maurer is when he goes home at night. More, more uh, Twins Talk with Wetmore after this from the State Fair. This portion of Mackie and Judd brought to you by our friends at It's Just Lunch. That's hit to right and deep. Boston has two today. Just over the wall and right. And it's four to two. All right, talking to Twins with uh, Derek Wetmore for one more segment here. Matthew Collar, run through the list since we have heard numerous references to uh, home runs yeah. today. When we were talking about the increase in home runs, there was a bunch yesterday. Mm-hmm. The there was the the back to back right or was it just same inning? The A's they, just yeah. went yeah all over the place. Yeah, they so the box score. you said Tater, I did say, and Tater. I said Dinger. So I found a list of the thirty best nicknames okay. for home runs. You guys can stop me when you get one that you really love. All right. So from thirtieth down, a poke, the no. long ball, Homer, a knock, a smack, a jack, shot. A high riser. I like that one. Never heard that one. Dinger is my favorite. Dinger. Dinger's pretty good. Okay. Blast, bomb, rocket, missile, laser, roof shot, moon shot, tape measure shot, goner, 
The big fly. I like that These one. These are specific to their distance hit, too. Yeah. Like, StatCast eventually needs to have... Tape they've, got, yes. they've got the angle of trajectory, whatever. They've got the exit velocity. They need how far did it travel, yeah. and was that a tater or a moonshot? See, now, I think that this one is perfect for you because you love tater, and that's okay. number 10. Tater's but good. also, we're in Minnesota, and everything comes with taters, tater and it just makes a lot of sense. Uh, I like this one. A no-doubter is number 9. No-doubter's pretty good. The four-bagger... Is no, number eight. I've no, never liked no, that. Eight? Like that's four, eight. You know, like four baggers. That shouldn't be eight. That should the, be like. Uh, these aren't in ranked in popularity. No, they're probably it, just. It's they're probably just, they're a list. just ranked by some person. Okay. Who well, likes I, home runs? I disagree with that person. Okay, keep going. <laughs> uh, round tripper. That's good. An yeah. out of towner. No, I don't, I've never heard that. I one. have never heard that one either. <laughs> been that, covering baseball that sounds for like a, a reference to something other than a home run. This is another one that's perfect for us. I, maybe the home run was invented in Minnesota. The gopher ball. Yeah, gopher ball. That's perfect. A souvenir. Yeah. Okay. Yahtzee is number three. You brought like that Yahtzee. one up. Yahtzee's pretty good. Grand, grand Salami for the Grand Slam. Yeah. And Apo Taco is rated what? number one. Okay. This person rated Apo Taco so number are, one. These are all specific types of home runs. <laughs> We've got to get to the person who put together this list and ask him or her to justify their rankings. Maybe they're not rankings, but an Apo Taco is just a deep shot to the opposite field. Yeah. Like a, a, a moon shot, it has to go, yeah, what, 450 plus? They're all, they're all plus. home run nicknames, though. Uh, you can get start getting obscure, and, and those then, are the ones um, I have a little more fun with, like mashed potatoes and yard the, uh, sale. The Anchorman Whammy, of Whammy, course, yeah. is uh, also What was that Joe Buck commercial a couple of years ago where he had the uh, uh, home run Slam-a-lama ding-dong. Slam-a-lama ding-dong. Yeah. That was okay. Uh, those are good. Tape measure shot is, is my favorite tape o- old school good. one. And you know, the history of that, Mickey Mantle hit a home run against Washington. That was a mammoth shot. Is this shot. a true story? Yes. Okay. True story that I've read it, at mm-hmm. least. That hit a mammoth shot against Washington in Washington. I think it left the ballpark and rolled. Hmm. And so they actually got a tape measure out to try and get the distance, to try and walk off the distance between home plate and where that ball settled finally. Hmm. And I believe that's how they came up with the phrase tape measure. Like a golf drive that hits the cart path and then yeah. bounces exactly. down so the cart So they're like, path. how far did that go? Like, oh, I, I, I generally drive at 543. That's right. That's every, about how long that Every was. time, every single time that one of these long home runs comes up, whether it's you know, Miguel Sano going 480 or Byung-Ho Park hitting it deep to center field, Jim Tomey hitting the top of the freaking flagpole in right field, which actually happened. I saw it. Yeah. Every time one of those happens, I hear people say, well, yeah, but Harmon Killebrew hit one. And every <laughs> year up, baby. every year that uh, passes from when Killer actually hit that home run, I'm convinced that it went 15 feet farther than it actually right. did. It was 500 feet, then it was 515, and now we're up to like 750 feet that Harmon Killebrew <laughs> if I'm hit. Not, if I'm not mistaken, right after Harmon died and, and they had the ceremony for him at Target Field and yeah. Jim Tomey was up in the last row, I think that's where his farthest home run at the Met went. It went into what would be the last row of the second deck at Target cast, Field. or it didn't happen. Did you well, see... Um, we got problems. When you picks. went to Fenway, Judd, did you see the seat where uh, Ted Williams' longest home run landed? Yeah. Uh, what is it, orange? Yeah. Orange seat? Yeah. Th- yeah. yeah. It's how a, how uh, deep was that one? On Triple Play 2000... Well, StatCast didn't have it, so yeah. forget about it. <laughs> the, the video game Triple Play 2000, there was a code where you could play on the moon. Sure. And then you would hit 800 foot oh, home runs. Oh, yeah, I wanted so to bring that up. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, so I saw somebody tweet yesterday at Tyler Austin's home run, which you guys played uh, in front of the first segment when I joined you. It went, I don't know, 470 feet. Just yeah, eyeballing it. was a bomb. It. Yeah. I did the. I got my protractor out in the press box, and I was figuring yeah. out exactly about how far that thing would have gone. As you would. Somebody said, yes, thank you, that it was a 99% hit probability. 
And I'm sitting here thinking, like, okay, what 99%. Yeah, 99%. Like, Hit? is there a ballpark? And, and are there rules in which you could have a center fielder standing 500 now, feet that way that that's not a hit? Okay, here's my answer to that. What does the gravity need to be to pull that thing back I, into I the playing have, field? I have the answer for you. 99%. Detroit, their old stadium, used yeah. to have the pole in play. So if it hit the pole, I think it would have come okay. down Tiger and been Shane in play. Or yeah. uh, Houston had that out on the hill until fairly recently. Yeah, but I they think, got rid of the But if it, hits that, yep. if it hits that pole, is that still in play? There's, there's, I think it is, yeah. Well, well in that case, it's still a double. It it's still a double. You're not going to get that thing pulled away. Oh, 99% yeah, was a joke. Last thing, sir. Byron Buxton, yeah. why, why are we even talking about if he's going to be called up on September 1st? Doesn't it have to be a given it's that weird. he's going to be back here? So Saturday would be the first day rosters expand. I would think you'd want Byron Buxton on the team on that day and starting in center field and probably hitting ninth just for the – give him all of September. But yeah. – Molitor was asked yesterday, how's he doing, and is he safe to say he's a September call-up? And Molitor said, well, I'll address the first part of that question. He's doing fine. No negative reports on the wrist as far as anything reoccurring um, after playing a couple days in a row. I believe Sunday was his third day back-to-back. It's the first time he's done that since the reoccurrence of the wrist injury. But then he said... As for the September call-up, we're going to wait on that. Stuff's collapsing around you right now. Well, that's What's going on? Story of our Sounds like uh, the twins. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> it's hey. the story of our lives. I was going to. Uh, but with Buxton, I think that there's like... Oh, it was the Joe poster. Oh, no. Yeah, you're the, not going to be able to... The Suture podcast, podcast structure. Yeah. Uh-oh. Well, it's still going to be a podcast. Somebody fix this thing. So... the. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me why they would not call him up. Yeah. There were two reads. It was one, either they're not going to and they don't want to say that yet, or two, they are going to, and you don't want to just put that out there and make that news, make that a headline right. and say, hey, Byron Buxton's coming up, because then every other fringe roster guy's like, well, well hey, bleep, am I going to be up in September? Bleep them. They're I'm fringe saying, roster man. guys. I don't, care. I don't yeah. care if Nick Gordon's ticked at me. Or wow. maybe they haven't whoever, decided yet, and they want to see how he plays in Rochester over the next few days. I think that would be a joke. Or, like if yeah. It's possible that that's what's happening, Matthew, but yeah. if that's happening, I think it's the wrong way to go about it. The two most important things for your future of the Twins, if you're looking at a three-year, five-year plan, yep. get Buxton back. Make sure Sano is back. We've seen some encouraging signs from Sano, yeah. but it's still not fully there. Yeah. If those guys are superstars, it smooths over a lot of rough edges with the rest that, of the roster. The play yesterday with Sano, I couldn't decide if I felt like it was really good that he got to the ball and he could bend and get it, or if it was really bad that the guy was still safe. And like That's a play. Not, the backhand play? Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's a play that most third basemen make. I yeah, think. I think there's, there's a certain amount of Sano that you just have to accept where it's a high volatility. He'll make some amazing plays to his backhand because of his arm, and he'll make the charge plays and the barehanded bunts and all that. But he's going to be hit or miss going to his left. He's going to be, you know, like some plays on his backhand he's just not going to make. And I'm cool with how well he plays for the most part. As long as he's consistent, I think he could actually really be a good third baseman. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, check out Derek's work, 1500ESPN.com, covering the Twins. I'm going to make you pick the Vikings schedule when we come back. Because now that we're getting close, yep. we're through the, as you say, all-important third preseason game. We basically know what's going on with the offensive line now. I want you to pick every game again? on the Viking schedule again. My third try at this again. since it came out. All right, yes. we'll be back after Pick this. it again. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN.